We are in the middle of the series called Directions. And today, in the second part, and the title is Asking for Directions. What is God's will for my life? Anybody ask that question? Anybody? Anybody currently asking that question? What is God's will for my life? There are certain decisions that we make that are smaller in nature. Sitting here today going, well, what am I going to eat for lunch after? Am I going to eat Mexican, Chinese, Thai? What do I eat for lunch after? Where am I going to go? Um, there are bigger, larger decisions that we make on a regular basis. Some of you are sitting in here and you have, you're at a crossroads in terms of career. Some of you are wondering, what do I do about this job? Some of you are wondering, what do I do about these major decisions in regards to family? In regards to children, in regards to marriage, in regards to perhaps even ministry. Every day, there are decisions that we make. And for a lot of us, and I said this last week as a launching point, who we are today is a result of decisions that we make. Some good, some bad. Some of us are sitting here this morning and there are some decisions that we made that maybe if our book, if our lives were a book, there are certain chapters in our lives that we would like to rip out. Because we have some major, major regrets. Some of us, the amazing thing is, we're sitting here today and there are red flags waving at certain decisions that we're about to make. Some of us are even trying to tell our conscience otherwise when we know the right thing to do. Um, I said last week that one of the challenges for us is that I think we have either an unbiblical or misinformed way about going about discerning God's will for our lives. So let me give you a handful that we Christians normally struggle with, okay? And we'll pull them certain methods. Uh, are you familiar with this one, the random finger method? Remember we talked about this last week. I am guilty of this. I did this a lot in college. I don't want to pick on college students today, but I don't know why, but in college I did a lot of these things. Maybe it's because I was in the midst of trying to discern a lot of decisions. This is where you close your eyes, close the Bible, you open the Bible, you point, and you go, God, speak to me. And you look for a verse. Here's another method, um, astonishing miracle method. That is where you expect God, whether it be the burning bush kind of experience or Paul on the Damascus road. <laughs> Sherry, you're nodding your head. Um, there, are, there are those kinds of things where we go, God, do something spectacular so that I know exactly what you want me to do. Here's the next one. Let's call this a striking coincidence method. And again, I don't want to pick on college students, but these are real life experiences that I've heard. College students trying to discern what major should I pursue and so you're sleeping, and you wake up one night, you look over, and it says 111. Like, okay, well, you go to sleep. The next night, you same thing, wake up, and it says 222. And then the third night, you wake up, and it says 333, and you decide, wow, God's speaking to me. I need to major in math. <laughs> you think I'm kidding, right? And maybe what you need to do, actually, is take NyQuil and get some sleep, Right? Here's another one. I kid you not. Guy's walking down the campus, and he sees a can of Coke, and he kicks the can of Coke. And by the way, he's been praying about, Lord, who should I marry, right? So he kicks the can of Coke, and he's walking, and sees a group of girls walking towards him. And there's a girl who is drinking a can of Coke, and he decides she's the one. Um, Here's another one that we wrestle with, cast fleece method. Anybody? Gideon, story of Gideon. Lord, if you are going to speak to me, and then you put God to the test. Just ignore the fact that God says, don't put me to the test. We do this Gideon's fleece thing. Here's another one. Um, This open door method, and this goes actually with the next one I'm going to talk about. Open door method, we assume if there are opportunities that are available to us, well, surely enough, God must be opening the door. Well, why do you assume that? Because that kind of goes with this, the closed-door method. And this is a faulty assumption that if something is difficult, surely that's not God's will. Because God would never, God forbid, have us do something difficult. So open door means I go, and closed door means, well, I'm just done. There are a number of ways that we go about trying to pursue, and we look for signs, as we see last week, and all these other things. And church, say this with me if you were last week. I'm going to do a little bit of review. God says when it comes to discerning his will, he doesn't give us signs. He gives us what? He gives us what? He gives us wisdom. 
When you read through the book, when you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, God handful of times speaks in these supernatural ways in which God says, this is clearly what I want you to do. But the teaching that's profoundly found throughout Scripture over and over again is that God says, I give you wisdom. And what is wisdom? It's not my definition. It's a commentator's definition. Wisdom is competence with regard to the complex realities of life. Let's say this together. Wisdom is competence with regard to the complex realities of life. That is the reason why we need wisdom when it comes to directions, deciding what God wants to do. It's a lot of times decisions that we make, moral values, moral principles don't apply. And I gave this example last week, and I talked to a guy this week who said, I found that to be true. You might have an incredibly generous heart, generous spirit, be a principal, ethical person, and you want to help the poor. But you could go about helping the poor in a way that completely ruins their lives because we're not familiar with the complexities of poverty. The fellow I was talking to was a group of people who came to this community with good intentions but completely blew up relationship after relationship because they weren't familiar with the complexities of poverty and the realities of life. And I said this last week, how many of us, a lot of times, the decisions that we make is not between good and bad. It's not between right and wrong. It's not between moral and immoral. It's good decisions, moral decisions. Who do I hire? Parents, how much freedom do I give my child when they're four, when they're six, when they're ten? You're a boss. Who do I hire? I have five different people who could be perfect for this job. There are a number of godly men and women that you can pursue. If you want to pursue a dating relationship, you go, who do I? These are decisions that aren't right or wrong. They require what? Say it with me. Wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to make the right decision. And the 80% of life decisions in which God says there isn't one way. How do you, how do you get wisdom? Again, brief review, because you understand this context. And last week, it was just so foreign to us. Proverbs, from which we're spending bulk of our time, 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Seven, eight hundred times in the Bible, the Bible describes our lives as a path. Walking a path. It's right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left. What's it like walking a path? It's repeated. It's boring. It's mundane. And yet the Bible says two things. Walking path is like life. Why? Eventually, when you walk right, left, right, left, boring, repeated, mundane actions, you get somewhere. And I said this last week, and you need to sit on this. Our culture likes to tell us, give me your bio, Carlton. And Carlton says, here are the big events that shaped me in my life. The Bible says who you and I are today is a result of small decisions, little attitudes, basic disciplines that we do over and over and over and over again. They're not the big crisis kinds of things. I said this last week. A lot of times those events actually reveal who we have become. They show what we're made of. But who we are today is a result of every single day. Attitudes, every single day. Little decisions, every single day. Little choices, every single day. Mentality that we have. And after a while, the Bible says, you become a certain kind of person. So the question I asked was, what does our left, right, left, right, everyday decision look like? What are little attitudes Little choices, little decisions that we're making that we frankly go, that doesn't really matter. What are those little things? By the way, wisdom is like a path. And what the Bible says is wisdom doesn't come. The illustration last week was like opening a door and getting secret knowledge, secret information. Wisdom comes from daily, repeated, assuming disciplines of prayer, of worship, of scripture, of accountability, of community. Left, right, left, right. Left, right, left, right. Wisdom. Hear me. Comes from your basic, small, little, seemingly insignificant decisions, attitudes, posture, and discipline. 
wisdom. What are the basic postures? We talked about four of those. Wisdom comes from, we said, knowing the gospel. Proverbs 3.3. 3. The love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Love and faithfulness are always used of God and how he feels towards those that he is in covenant relationship with. And the Bible says that if you want wisdom, one of the daily disciplines is find ways to bind the love and faithfulness of God. That is this truth that he will never leave you, never forsake you. This truth that his love for you is unfailing. This truth that his love for you is internal. It says bind them around your neck to a point where they become real. And the illustration I had last week was you got to pound it. You got to pound it deep into your heart. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Every single day, you got to pound the love and faithfulness of God. And the result is what? The reason why wise people make good decisions is because they have an inner poise and an inner calm that comes from knowing the love and faithfulness of God. Wise people don't make decisions through the moment. Wise people don't make decisions driven by emotions. Wise people don't make decisions based on fear and insecurity. 90% of us when you look at bad decisions we've made, follow the trail, and it was either driven by fear, I'm really afraid, so I'm going to, or I'm really insecure, so I'm going to. Wise people, the Bible says, are secure, calm, poised, because love and faithfulness of God is real to them. And they've pounded it, pounded it into their hearts. Second discipline we talked about, and i got to move, move, move. Wisdom comes from knowing the database of God's ways. So last week, God has already revealed what he's going to do, providential will of God. God has also revealed what he wants us to do, the moral will of God. And I said the more familiar we become with God's providential and the more obedient we become to God's moral will, what he's already revealed, the more wise we become to discern the personal will of our lives. How familiar are you to what God has already said? How obedient are you to what God has revealed? They become the context in which we go, is it this one, is it this one? God says, choose. All right, third is wisdom comes from knowing trouble, and we talked about discipline and the necessity of discipline. And then the fourth we talked about wisdom comes from knowing yourself, knowing yourself. Why? Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. And we said the great paradox of the book of Proverbs is that fools think they're what? Wise. And wise people think they're? Fools are walking around going, I'm wise. I know what to do. I'm wise. I know what to do. And the Bible says wise people are barreling towards wisdom by saying, I'm a fool. I am a fool. Wise people are absolutely in touch with reality. And the one reality you have to know, to know all other reality, is you have to know yourself. You have to know your limitations. You have to know your weaknesses. You have to know your flaws. You have to know your besetting sins. And wise people are absolutely familiar with them. Why is this important? Remember this illustration I gave about a month ago? We don't hear our voices. That's why when you hear a recording of yourself, you're like, who the heck is that? We hear our voices through the neck and our bones. So this is what people tell me that know this kind of stuff. So we don't hear our voices. We don't hear how we really sound. Fools walk around going, I know exactly how I sound. I'm exactly in tune, aware of how I sound. Wise people go, I don't know how I sound. I don't know about besetting sins. I don't know about my flaws. Will you show me? Will you tell me? Will you keep me accountable? Will you be in community with me? Will you speak truth? And this is where I come to what we're going to talk about today, which is wisdom comes from knowing community. 
Look at verse 3, 1 again, okay? It says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace. Throughout the book of Proverbs, by the way, I want to encourage you. We're only going to do like four chapters. Read this book. Read this book. Make this one of your right, left, right, left, right, left. Read the book of Proverbs. Throughout this book, you hear, My son, my son. It's written by Solomon, but most likely commentary tell us that it was a manual. The book of Proverbs was a manual written for a boys' school where they were learning wisdom. That's why you have mentors constantly going, my son, my son, my son. The point here is you'll never find wisdom by yourself. You'll never find wisdom by yourself. That's why Proverbs 3, 7 says, what? Do not be wise in your own eyes. A fool is an individualist. A fool is an individualist. A fool is someone who says, I don't need to talk to anybody. I don't need anybody else's advice. I don't need anybody else's counsel. I don't need to hear other perspectives. A fool is an individualist who says, me and myself alone, I can make right decisions and pursue right things in life. A wise person says, I am so not wise, and I am so not in tune with my foolishness, that I need the wisdom and counsel and advice of others around me. I don't know how I sound. Will you tell me? Wisdom. This is the reason why, thanks, Michael, for doing what you did today. We push small groups like we do in this church. Some of us would rather hear a seminar in class. Give me the information. Give me the information. If I want to talk to the person sitting next to me, I will. If I don't want to, I won't. The Bible says, the Bible says you get information through a class, but you only get wisdom in community. You only get wisdom in community. Wisdom comes from mutual counsel. Wisdom comes from mutual exhortation. Wisdom comes from mutual confrontation and mutual comfort. Wisdom comes in community. If you're just sitting here on Sundays going, give me the information and I'll take what I can, I go, you'll hit a ceiling in terms of your spiritual maturity. Because the Bible says it's when you go, but community is messy. Yes, it is. The community is hard. I know. The community takes a lot of effort. I know. And the Bible says that's the only way you'll be wise. So what do you want? Information? I'll take it and leave it. I'll do what I... Or do you want wisdom and a competence to make wise decisions? The amazing thing, you guys, is that the person who was the wisest person that ever lived on the face of the earth had more to say about this than anybody. His name was Solomon. And listen to the wisdom that he writes in this amazing book. I'm just going to go over a bunch of passages. We could spend like 20 minutes on every single verse that he talks about this, but I just chose a handful. Proverbs 11:14. Without good direction, people lose their way. The more wise counsel you follow, the better your chances. A- amen, anybody? 12:15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Verse 13, 10, chapter 13, 10. Where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Chapter 15, verse 22. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Chapter 19, verse 20. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Chapter 20, verse 18. Form your purpose by asking for counsel. Then carry it out using all the help you can get. Chapter 28, verse 26. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. You know, a New Testament parallel for this 
And we talk about this a lot in our church. Check this out, Ephesians 4.15. Paul says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Hear me clearly. You can't just drop in on church and expect to grow spiritually. Paul says, you can't just expect to drop in church and grow spiritually. He says, you grow spiritually, check this out, by being in community. But not just any community. Community that what? Speaks the truth in love. He can't put it any other way. Can you go back, please? He cannot go back. Any- he says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body. He says, if you are not in community where they're speaking truth and love, you are going to stay a spiritual infant forever. Do you want to grow? Do you want to mature? He says, you need to be in community. But there are people speaking the truth in love and counsel and advice in community. I just got to ask, um, how many of you right now are going, this makes complete total sense and I'm completely on board? Really? A lot of us? Okay. Why do we struggle with this? Before I get why, why do we struggle with this? I'm just saying we in general. Why, why do we, if we do, why do we struggle with this? Principle. I'm going to tell. Independence, Tom says. Pride. And says, it's a, we like shortcuts. There's a lot of wisdom in the room. Yes. Anybody else? Self-sufficiency. Any. We don't like to be told what to do. <laughs> Sister, I love, Annie, I love how you just cut through the, you just go straight to the, you know. We're going to look at a story in the Old Testament of a king, a young king, who had a chance to put into principle what we're going to talk about today. And because he chose wrongly, there were devastating consequences. This thing that we're going to talk about today, and you said, is so basic and so foundational. But you know what I realized? You know what I realized this week? I'm like, we stink at basic and foundational. We stink at basic and foundational. And what we're going to look at today is so basic and so foundational that you're going to wonder, why is he spending an entire morning talking about this? It's a story about a king named Rehoboam. It's found in 1 Kings 12. Let me see it through context. First king of Israel is who? Saul. Good king, bad king. If you think that, yeah, second king is even harder. King David. Good king or bad king? For those of us that gravitate towards his flaws, we go, he was a great king. He's a wonderful king. For those of us that are like, well, David was a man after God's own heart, and yet The next king was who? Solomon. Solomon. Solomon followed the ways of God for a period, and then he was led astray to worship gods of other nations. Takes the entire country astray. God comes to Solomon and says, because of your sins, I'm going to judge your house and this entire nation. And then God says, however, because of the faithfulness of your father David and my love for him, I'm going to do two things. One, I'm going to leave a remnant for your house. Remnant for your house. Secondly, the judgment will come after you're dead. Solomon eventually dies. Before Solomon dies, God sends a prophet to a man named Jeroboam. Don't confuse him with the Rehoboam. Jeroboam. And he says to Jeroboam, I've judged the house of David. And I'm going to make you the king over the part that they are not going to rule. Solomon gets a wind of this, and he goes, ain't happening. Wants to kill him. Thwart God's plan. Of course, it doesn't work out. Solomon eventually dies. His son, Rehoboam, is raised to the next king of Israel. In 1 Kings 12, we're at the coronation, and here's what we find. Rehoboam 
went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Jeroboam and said to him, everybody's on board, everybody wants Jeroboam to be king. Verse four, chapter, verse 4, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we, Rehoboam, will serve you. Anybody history buffs? Under Solomon's rule, Israel took some of the most ambitious building projects known to man. King Solomon's temple, one of the what? Seven wonders of the world. Under King Solomon, the nation of Israel is doing one ginormous building project after another. Heavy taxes, forced manual labor. So the people of Israel come in and going, your father was unbearable. So Rehoboam, we want you to be king. We want to serve you. But chill out a little bit. Just chill out a little bit. Can we go for a few years without the next monstrous building project and heavy taxes and forced labor? Sounds like a reasonable request, yes? This is a defining moment for Rehoboam. Because from our perspective, you're going, well, it doesn't sound like much. Decisions should be simple, but put yourself in his shoes. By the way, he's 41 years old, so he's not like a young man. He's 41 years old. Here he's about to be the next king of Israel. And he's thinking this. He's saying, I need to establish myself and my authority as king. So if I give in to this request, what else are they going to ask? What, are they, what else are they going to ask? Am I even going to be able to establish myself authority as king? What if they ask for all kinds of things? I can't possibly rule over them. On the other hand, he saw firsthand what his father did. He saw what it did to his father. And he saw what it did to his people. So here's Rehoboam saying, how do I decide? And you know what he needs? He needs what? Wisdom. He needs competence with regard to the complex realities of life. Listen to what he does. Verse 5. For Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people Went away. For a 41-year-old dude, he's pretty darn mature and wise. Do you know why? This is a very practical thing. What does he do in the heat of the moment when there's intense emotion? He's got to decide a lot is writing. What does he do? He says, I need time. Confession. How many of us have gotten ourselves into trouble? Because we should have waited a couple days before we replied to that email. How many of you guys are in trouble because we should not have picked up the phone and called because the heat of the moment, our judgment was clouded? This is, Rehoboam says, I, I need time. I need time. Give me some time so I can cool off, let the emotions of the moment pass, the anger, the upsetness, the confusion, the anxiety. And then he does another thing that's incredibly wise. Look at what he says. Verse 6, then Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you, how would you advise me to answer these people? He, in other words, doesn't go, I'm going to decide, I'm the king. He says, I'm going to go to outsiders for consultation. He seeks the advice of wise men who had been with his father for 40 years. In other words, they saw everything. They saw the bad decisions he made and the consequences and the good decisions he made and the consequences. And Rehoboam says, I ain't going to ask you because you guys have seen everything under the sun. And at this point, I lack wisdom to do the right thing. What would you have me do? Look what they said, verse 7. They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. Talk about godly counsel. He says, Rehoboam, they want to serve you. They want to follow you. But you need to be a servant leader. Chill out on the building project, bro. Don't be a taskmaster. They just want some relief. What do you think Robom did? That's great advice. Nah. Because if it was, I wouldn't be preaching on it today. Good old 41-year-old Robom. Look at verse 8. But Robom, say this with me. Oh, say it like you mean it. Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted 
the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. What's wrong with that picture? <laughs> Verse 9. He asked them, gets better. What is your advice? How should what? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? Rehoboam rejects the counsel of the men with wisdom, perspective, and experience that he doesn't have. Do you know what else these men had? Listen carefully. They had nothing to lose by telling Rehoboam the truth. They were the perfect people to ask because they had nothing to lose by telling him the truth. Instead, he goes to who? A group of people who had everything to lose by telling the truth. As Rehoboam went, so they would go. Instead of listening to the group of men who said, we care about you and the decisions that you make that will impact these people. He goes to people who say, Hey, as you go, we go. Um, Carlton up here said it earlier. I don't know if you guys heard it. We have friends that have enough maturity and wisdom that we can go to for counsel, and we thank God for them. I'm going to say this very clearly. But many of us have friends who care more about the friendship than they care about you as a friend. We have friends. Please listen. Who care more about the friendship than they care about you as a friend? They care more about the fact that the relationship stays intact than the fact that you actually, even if it's painful, hear the truth and grow and mature from it. We have friends who will not speak truth in love to us. Because at the end of the day, this might sound harsh. They don't really love us. They love themselves. Rehoboam goes to a group of people who care more about the friendship than they about him. This proverb was like a knife to me in a good way this week. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Another translation? Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. What does Ruabom need? He needs wisdom. What is wisdom? Group of people who say, we care more about you and being a king who follows God. If you kill us, kill us. If you reject us, reject us. But we will tell you what you need to hear. Instead, he goes to a group of people who are going to stroke his ego and say, I'm just not going to say anything to you because, you know, if we do, please hear me. Speaking truth without love. Dismissing people, telling people off is spiritually deadly. It could destroy a community. But just as deadly is someone who loves without speaking truth. Who will not, because they love you enough, tell you the truth. <sighs> Sorry, it just, uh, I just... Hard lessons learned from you guys. Hard lessons learned. Verse 10. Look, the young men who had grown up with him replied, These people have said to you, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. You know what that means? That means uh, if you think my daddy was bad, you haven't seen nothing yet. That's what they advise him. Tell them. If you think my daddy was bad, Tell, that's wise. Because we're I'm going, yeah, yeah, that sounds awesome. Oh, that sounds awesome. Verse 11, my father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. <laughs> Verse 12, three days later. 
Jerob and all the people returned to Jeroboam, as the king had said, come back to me in three days. Verse 13, the king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Um, verse 15, so the king did not listen to the people. For this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. If you're awake, if you're awake this morning, you should be going, what? This is a little teaser for next Sunday, okay? Because this is what it says. The text says, Jeroboam made the decision on his own. He didn't listen to people, made the decision. But the Bible says that God determined the outcome to fulfill what God intended to do. How many movies are out there that say, are we free? Are we truly free beings? Do our choices determine our destiny? I w- no, our destiny is fixed. Our destiny is determined. It doesn't matter what we do. Which is it? Which is it? Which is it? We're going to talk about this. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says you're totally free and you're totally determined at the same time. Next Sunday. Verse 16. That's what's up, Carlton. That's what's up. Sit on that for a while. Okay. Verse 16. Verse 16. When all Israel realized that the king had refused to listen to them, they responded, down with the dynasty of David. And it's never a good thing when people go down with the house of David, okay? We have no interest in the son of Jesse. Back to your homes, O Israel. Look out for your own house, O David. So the people of Israel returned home. Verse 18. King Robam sent Adoniram, who was in charge of labor force, to restore order. But the people of Israel stoned him to death. Also, it's not a good thing when you get stoned to death, right? When this re- news reached King Rehoboam, he quickly jumped into his chariot and fled to Jerusalem. Verse 20, when the people of Israel learned of Jeroboam's return to Egypt, they called an assembly and they made him king over all Israel. Peter, why are you spending an entire morning on this? I will tell you exactly why. I've been a pastor for 25 some years. And I can count hundreds and hundreds of conversations where somebody will come in. And I will say, where they made a decision, financially, marriage, relationally, blew their lives up. And I will look at them as they're crying and say, can I ask you a question? Before you made that decision, did you talk to anybody? When you saw those warning signs in that relationship through dating, "Ah, nothing. Then you were engaged, nah, it's nothing. And then you got married. You saw the warning signs. Did you seek out counsel? Did you seek out wisdom? Ask somebody. Just talk to somebody. Before you signed on that dotted line for that business venture that was going to eventually take your family and your entire house into bankruptcy, did you seek the counsel? And I can't tell you the number of times where they will look at me and say, And these are wise people. These are bright, smart, intelligent people. And I'll ask them, why would you not talk to somebody about this? Why would you not talk to a group of people? Why would you not seek the counsel and advice before you made that decision? And over and over again, the answer is no. And sometimes people go, well, I prayed about it. And I want to go, you're not that spiritual. Because can I ask you a question? The last time you were in involved in a romantic relationship, you liked somebody or somebody liked you, and you went around. When was the last time you had clear objectivity to make a emotionally distant decision on that? When is the last time? You're not clear and objective. You're in a fog. You're in an absolute fog of romance. When is the last time you were in a decision-making process where it was heated and there was so much emotion, there's so much riding on it, that you have the objectivity that alone, by yourself, in a room, with the Bible open and praying, you were able to discern in and of itself what God wanted you to do. Come on. Come on. 
So what has God done? And listen, we need to create an entire category for this. This isn't, well, I tried everything. Nothing worked. I guess I'll seek out Carl. This isn't, well, I tried everything, you know, but nothing has worked and nothing seems to be working. So I think I'll go and ask so and so forth. The Bible says in order to fulfill God's will, make good decisions, advance the kingdom and its purpose for your life. God had not his last resort. God has given me you and given you me. God has given the body of Christ, the community of faith to say they are a vital part of your decision making. And if your answer right now is, well, that's my last resort. If nothing else works, the Bible says it is an integral part that you and I need to create an entire category for and saying, God, this is the vital product of decision making. Can I just tell you something? If you guys knew how many people I talk to, literally about every decision I make, every, you would think, you're not a very good leader that can make any decisions, are you? You know what I'm realizing? Great leadership is not about making decisions on your own. Great leadership is owning the decision once it's been made. I'm going to say it again. Great leadership is not, well, I'm a good leader and I'm smart, I don't know, so I'm going to make a decision. Great leadership is not making decisions on your own. Great leadership is about owning the decision once it's been made and saying, I did it. I'm not going to excuse. I'm not going to blame people. I did it. That was me. Great leadership is not about making decisions on your own. It's about owning the decision once it's been made. Real practical. I'm done in five minutes. Real practical here. Both long-term and short-term. If making right decisions requires asking the right people or making the wise decisions requires asking wise people, simple principles, simple principles, and I have to be really practical here, really, really practical. These are long-term and short-term. What, what, what do I mean? Some of you have decisions like, I need to make in the next two weeks, Peter. And this is like coming at this time, and I don't, what do I do? For some of us, we don't have those kinds of decisions to make. We're at the beginning process, and I want to encourage you to put these principles into practice. First is choose the right people. I know this sounds like a no-brainer. Choose the right people. Choose the right people. What do I mean by that? Subpoints. Choose people who have nothing to lose by telling you the truth. And it doesn't mean that they don't care about you or the friends. Choose people. Have, can I just let me give you an example? There are people who love you, who care about you, but they have no ability to be objective. Your parents. I love my parents, but if I listened to them, I would be pastoring a church in Korea right now. <laughs> okay? My parents are like, you gonna do what? Plant the church? Heck no. No mom and dad. Really? God called me to plant the church. What kind of church? Multi, multi what? Multi, multi who? <laughs> they were like, multi who? You mean they're non-Koreans? Yes. Why would you do that? Oh, good Lord. Okay. All right. All right. For two years, my parents, after I planted a new community, would go, there's a job opening at a church in Korea. I'm like, I don't want to go to Korea. <laughs> How many of us, how many of us have parents who we love and they love you, but there are decisions where they have no ability to be objective because in their eyes they have everything to lose? You know what I'm talking about? The same for friends. Listen, I'm just going to, because I, I spent time on I'm just going to be quick. Please, if you have friends around you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, please, 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 if you have friends around you, who have never spoken truth in life, they have friends around you who care more about the friendship. This could even be in romantic relationships. The friendship or the relationship than they care about you. Run. 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 Secondly, choose someone who's at the place you want to be in life. There are men and women in our church, you guys, even, who have a map on how to get there, whether it be in marriage, relationship, or your career. Essentially, you're saying, I want to be where you are in terms of careers, spiritual maturity, in your marriage as a husband, as a wife, whatever. And you have what I don't have, which is battle scars. Battle scars from having fought that. When I was a seminary student, and I was looking at marrying Jenny and the prospects of being in ministry with someone who was going to have a full-time 
a career as a physician. It blew my categories because I had grown up my, all my life going, pastor's wives are this way. And so when I, when I met Peter Cha, some of you guys know Peter Cha. Here's Peter Cha who was married to a radiologist, a physician. He had been married for about 10, 12 years. He had done the church ministry and he was going to Northwestern getting his degree in teaching. I latched onto that guy like he was a gift from the Lord. I was like, what was it like? What was it like? And I kid you not. You know what he said? He said, Peter, are you ready to do laundry, cook, clean the house for the first five years of your marriage? Because your wife is going to go through residency. And that means that you will have to be there to support her every step of the way. And I, in my absolute spiritual maturity, said, what else you got? (laughs) No, I, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Do you know that Peter and I still meet at least once a month? Because he's 10, 12 years ahead of me. And I'm going, Peter, you have a map. See, the problem is we ask people who are no further along than us. You're at work. You're at work. And you're having a hard time in marriage. And Bob walks by. You're like, Bob, come in here. Bob walks in and says, what is it? My wife, nah, 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 nah. And he's like, you too? My wife, nah, 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 nah. And it's like dumb and dumber, part two. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? They're just as dumb as you are. Why do we ask people who are no further along? Does it make any sense? You and I can start for Jim Carrey and Dumb and Number Part 2. We have no business asking people who are no further along in the journey than we are. And you know what that means? That they might be more educated and they might even be older, but they might not be further along. So you seek out people who are further along with humility and saying, hey, where are you? Third, if possible, choose more than one person. The best advice I was given, and by Peter Cha, by the way, he's not here today. I texted him, I'm like, don't come on church on Sunday because your Korean self will be so uncomfortable at the number of compliments headed your way, so he's not here today. The best advice I was given by him was this. He said, Peter, as you reach your 30s and 40s, he said, seek out different mentors to oversee different aspects of your life. He said, find someone you could talk to about marriage. He said, find someone you could talk to about ministry. Find someone you could talk to about just kind of your personal struggles and personal things that you're going through. And find someone that you could just hang out with and have fun. Seek out different people, if possible. And lastly, go prayerfully and expectantly and ask three questions. And this, by the way, is if you have decisions that you need to make sooner than later, go into a sensitive and expectant that God will use that person. By the way, how many of you guys, when you set up an appointment, whether it be with Pastor Michael or some other pastors or people, how many of you guys actually go into it going, God, I pray that you'll speak to me through that person. And by the way, don't go, go, yeah, I pray that you would be used by God to speak to me. So um, be accurate. Don't do that, you know. <laughs> don't say that. And ask him these three questions. One, are any of the areas that I'm considering outside the boundary of Scripture? Two, what is the wisest thing to do? Not good or bad. What is the wisest thing to do in this situation? And third, what would you do if you were me? What would you do if you were me? I'll tell you why. Some of us sitting here will not do this. Number one, you don't know anybody. I was going to do this today. I was going to say, all the people in their 30s, please stand up. And all the people in their then I realized, what the heck are you thinking? So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> suffice to say, suffice to say, if you are somebody going, Peter, you know what? I want to find somebody that's ahead in terms of what I Would you... Michael and I know the database of folks in our church. There are people in their 60s. There are people in their 50s. There are people in their 40s. And we have tons of people in their 30s. I don't know where this mindset comes from. This church is a bunch of 20-somethings. Yes, there are a lot of 20-somethings. But there are a bunch of people who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Ask us. We will gladly. Right, Michael? We will gladly point you towards some people. Secondly, reason why you won't do this, pride. Big, stupid pride. The same reason why I won't ask for directions when I'm lost. (laughs) Peter, I think we're lost. We're not lost. 
I know exactly where we're going. Why are you going faster? I don't know. <laughs> if we go faster, we'll get there faster. But you don't know where we're going. I'll, yeah. Your pride. Men, men, men. Do you really think you're a good leader by saying, I don't need anybody? Do you really think you're being a leader by saying, I don't need to consult anybody. I know exactly what I need to do. Good leadership is not about making decisions on your own. It's owning that decision once it's been made. And stop blaming other people. And here's the third reason why. You already know what you're going to hear, and you don't want to hear it. Let's all say this together. <laughs> Hold on a minute. I'm going to record this. <laughs> Ready? Out of count of three. Ready? One. Now I'm serious. Did you, did you, Brandy, did you just feel that as soon as I went up there? Did you, did you feel the, the ripple? We already know. And if this is you, it is a major red flag right now going, stop. Slow down. Not him. Not her. Not that. It's amazing to me how many of us are sitting here right now. And the reason why we will not go is because we don't want to hear what they have to say. And we are telling our conscience right now, God, what's your will for my life? God's going, you know what my will is. There are some of you, there are some of us who are in relationships, who are involved in activities, and we are not willing to ask for counsel and advice because deep down inside we're saying, And I don't want truth to be held up as a mirror. What were you going to do? What will you do? Wisdom says advice, counsel. See, you can come on up. Wisdom says I pound the gospel into my heart. So they have security and humility. How many of you sitting here this morning let's pray together. Because rather than me, because I've talked enough this morning, rather than me continue to ramble on, I'm actually, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit what the Bible says is the spirit of truth. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to me.